in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth pour forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on the earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over everything creeping that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are embarking on a two-week series on creation, care, and justice, led by myself and our pastoral intern, Phil King, who just read our scripture passage for today. This series is entitled Tending the Land. And our hope is that as we look together at scripture, we will be um, emboldened for the work that Christ has called his church to do in the world in working for justice and in caring for creation. Friends, even before the pandemic last May, when Brian and I were eagerly preparing our home and organizing whatever we could to somehow prepare ourselves for the birth of Johanna, I decided in my wisdom to take up gardening. Now for most of my life, I have avoided gardening. As a child, my parents spent countless hours on Saturdays and Sundays working in the yard, but I didn't enjoy picking weeds or laying pine straw. I wasn't allowed to mow, which I thought was probably the most fun of the chores. So I did a few things and then snuck back inside to read a book. As an adult, I still hadn't learned much about caring for plants, so most of my houseplants and herbs died <laughs> due to over or under watering. Then suddenly something shifted in me right before Joe was born and I had this desire to garden, to tend plants. So Brian and I made our way to a garden center and bought some vegetables, a few flowering plants and some wildflower seeds. Now, some of our plantings, they survived, but most of them struggled. The habits we needed to acquire for caring for a newborn overwhelmed us and took all of our mental focus. The new habit of gardening disappeared like a New Year's resolution in February. Spending more time at home over the past four months has made gardening take on more importance in our daily life. To be honest, my desire to change my habits related to gardening was born out of embarrassment. I spend many more hours looking out at my yard, seeing the weeds overtake the lawn and feeling embarrassed that I couldn't take better care of this piece of land that we live on. So taking the advice of the author of Atomic Habits, a book that I and some of the Knox staff have been reading recently, I started spending two minutes a day weeding. 
my impulse was to spend longer because I wanted to take care of the problem. But you see, there's this thing about weeds, they come back. So I could have spent hours getting rid of all of the weeds, but I was gonna have to do it again. And that was utterly demoralizing. So instead I spent two, maybe five minutes a day weeding and I learned a few things. The first, I got better at weeding. Turns out if you use gloves and a spade, you can be much more efficient. I started to see results after the second week and I started to take pride in my work. And third, I started to feel more settled when I was outside doing something to tend the land and to take care of this land that I live on. These past four months have stirred my anxieties and fears in new ways. The realities of a virus that we cannot see and can't treat at this point reminds me of the ways that we can't actually and don't control our environment. We've been able to engineer so many things that it seems as though nature can bend to our wills. But that's not the case with this virus. And the ravages of the virus have laid bare the vast socioeconomic and racial inequities in our society. The pervasiveness of systemic racism, of white privilege are overwhelming. The work left to do both personally for myself and as a society feels like many thousands of acres of weeds that have to be handpicked. Somehow though, picking weeds, tending the land has helped me to think more clearly, to connect with a part of myself that I had lost and to find the resolve to do things that I hadn't done before. To be honest, it wasn't an outcome that I expected when I set out to build this new habit. However, in looking back, I think it was predictable because of what we see in the creation story from Genesis 1. At the outset, I want to acknowledge that I am indebted to Dr. Ellen K. Davis of Duke Divinity School for her work on Genesis 1 and on ecology and theology. She has shaped my imagination of this story. And I highly recommend a recently re-released episode of On Being, the podcast with Dr. Davis and her former student, Krista Tippett. This episode also features poetry read by conservationist and poet Wendell Berry. The creation story from Genesis 1 is described by Dr. Davis as a magisterial liturgical poem. It is meant to be read or to even be sung in a worship setting, which is why we took the time to read it today. A description of God and the earth and humanity's relationship to both. The poem, like many other creation stories from the ancient Near East has a purpose, to explain our beginnings, not technically, but rhetorically. The poetry of this story evokes strong images that beg to be painted, to be held in our mind's eye and lovingly viewed. 
Here are a few reflections that I want to highlight from my reading of this text. The first is that God creates and affirms creation. It is good. God blesses not only humans, but the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and everything that crawls on the earth and intends for them to fill the earth. God describes images or humans as made in the image of God. And God then blesses humans that they too would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then here's this particular clause to humans, that they have dominion over the other creatures and over the earth. And then God describes how humans and, creation, and creatures are to eat. After that is when God looks out on all of creation and calls it very good. God's relationship to creation is one of power and of affirmation. God forms what was once formless, like a potter taking a blob of clay on a, on a wheel and breathing life to it. God admires its beauty. Each step of creation is good. God then affirms creation's beauty and goodness with a blessing. Notice God is not described as a tyrant exercising power unjustly or in order to dominate creation. Nor does God create and abandon. Humans made in the image of God are surely to take our cues for how we live from what we see God doing, both in scripture and in what we see in nature. I think we're also to take our cues from the blessing and the charge that God gives to creation and to us. So here's the question. What does dominion mean? It seems to be a hinge for understanding our role in this story. Over the past few centuries in the West, dominion has meant something closer to domination. Humans have the capacity and the mandate to bend nature to our will, to remake the world for our benefit. But is that what the charge is that God gives us? I don't think so. Ellen Davis offers this translation and reflection. The Hebrew word often translated dominion is a strong word and I render it exercise skilled mastery amongst the creatures. Because I think the notion of skilled mastery suggests something like a craft, an art of being human without taking away from the fact that humans do from the perspective of almost all the biblical writers, occupy a very special place of power and privilege and responsibility in the world. But the condition for our exercise of skilled mastery is set by the prior blessing of creatures of sea and sky, that they are to be fruitful and multiply. So whatever it means for us to exercise skilled mastery, it cannot undo that prior blessing. Dr. Davis's phrase, exercise skilled mastery, it's work that requires practice to become skilled. 
work that has some limits based on the thriving of other creatures. We do not have a mandate to then make nature meet, make nature meet our needs. Instead, we have a responsibility to tend to nature for our benefit and the benefit of all creation. Now, there are many scholars in different disciplines that have come to describe a term that might help us as we consider what might be the case for skilled mastery as the work that we have set before us. Harvard University professor E. Owen Wilson describes the term bibliophilia, biophilia, excuse me. Biophilia is an innately emotional affiliation of human beings to other living organisms. Innate means hereditary and hence part of the ultimate human nature. Thus the human species depends on creation to satisfy its desire for aesthetic, intellectual, cognitive, and even spiritual meaning. In fact, a case could be made that by cherishing the rest of creation, we will come to cherish even more what it is to be human. I have found that to be the case as I have taken time to learn how to tend the land and find peace in the chirping of the birds, the breeze blowing, the heat of the sun, and the respite of the shade, in the beauty of our mountains, and in the power of the waves beating the sandy shores. I think that the move to domination from dominion was born from fear. Fear that crops might fail, that earthquakes might destroy, fear that there wouldn't be enough food, fear that disease would kill us and our children, legitimate fears. And certainly skillful mastery can mean and does mean technological advancement. But there are limits to what we're able to do so that all of creation can thrive. What has often come to be called in the church as creation care or stewardship is the discipline of finding the balance of learning how to become skillful masters of tending the land. And this relates to us today, not only for the practices that we as individuals might undertake to care for creation, especially with this time afforded to us in quarantine, as so much has already been disrupted, what are ways that we can continue to live into our call to tend the land? But it also has become more apparent because we realize that the domination of nature has effects far-reaching and especially affects communities of color where racial inequities are exacerbated. We see this in Flint, Michigan with a water supply that is still unsafe in a predominantly black community. We see this in examples of farmers from other countries who receive pesticides from America and become sick. Pesticides that we aren't allowed to use in our own country. Friends, there is work for us all to do. To find ways toward reconciliation and care, not only for our own land that we live on with our families, and not only for the land in our community, but a work of caring for creation as a whole so that all of creation might thrive.
and live into the blessing that God has given. Our church has affirmed that we humans are to relate consciously, lovingly, caringly, not only to the creator, but to all human and non-human companions. Our task then is to pursue eco-justice, the well-being of all humankind on a thriving earth. I wanna to close today with a Wendell Berry poem, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come to the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought or of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and I am free. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.